hak komuniti LGBT untuk mengamalkan gaya hidup mereka masih tertakluk dengan undang-undang yang tidak membenarkan di Malaysia. Malaysia is listed as one of the 72 countries worldwide that criminalizes homosexuality. So the short answer is yes, it is illegal to be homosexual in Malaysia. Lawyers for Liberty today urge the authorities to stop using the lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender community as a convenient punching bag as it only creates an illusion of rectitude and false piety. Under state interpretation of Sharia law, Homosexuality in Malaysia results in up to 20 years in prison, whipping, and fines. This makes Malaysia the least safe Asian country for queer and trans tourists. Our concept of family remains the same. That is a couple with children, with their own children, is a family, or even adopted children. But two men and or two women uh, is not considered a family. Those were snippets from Malaysian news portals and politicians. But in this episode, we are not going to talk about those headlines. Instead, we are going to show you the people and stories behind these headlines. We want to highlight the universal nature of their wants and needs, their struggles to just be and coexist, and the joy that they feel in having able to be truly themselves. Hi everyone, my name is Aisa, and welcome to part one of Seek to Speak's Pride podcast special, where we will be exploring the lived experiences of the LGBTQ community in Malaysia. We hope to build a connection through these stories, to humanize those headlines which are oftentimes nameless and faceless, and in the process, build awareness and create empathy between our local communities. While we do not claim that the views shared here are representative of the wider LGBTQ experience in Malaysia, the stories here are true and real to the people who shared them. Some shared their story through Zoom interviews, others through submitted clips, and some even through text, which we will later read out. But please note that we will be talking about LGBTQ discrimination, mental health issues like suicide and self-harm, as well as platforming some difficult coming out stories. So should you find this type of content triggering, please stop listening now and come back when or if you're ready. And if you need help or someone to speak to about these issues, we have included some helpful queer-affirming resources in our show notes. We invite you, our listeners, to keep an open mind and encourage you to talk about these issues in a meaningful and productive way outside of this episode. Please remember that it takes a lot of courage for the people on this episode to come out and tell you their stories. So we hope that you feel as deeply as we do when we heard them. Seek to speak values, compassion, tolerance, and respect. And we hope that since you're listening to this episode, that you share the same values as well. And with that in mind, I want to kick off the episode with a quote from Jason Collins, which reads, Openness may not completely disarm prejudice, but it's a good place to start. Hi. I'm someone who's a part of the LGBTQ community, and as someone part of it, I have faced a lot of problems in life just because of being bisexual. I have gotten cyberbullied because of it, but that still wouldn't change the fact that I'm bisexual. In fact, I am bisexual and very proud. I've come across to a lot of people and they are homophobes. I felt really disappointed. I just don't understand what's wrong with liking two genders. I really wish that this would change. That was our community member Priya reading out an anonymous story sent to us via Google Form. 
As you all know, LGBTQ is an acronym for Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender, and Queer. These terms encompass a diverse set of sexualities and genders. Folks often refer to the Q, standing for queer or questioning, as an umbrella term under which another variety of identities live. Gender identity refers to an individual's internal sense of gender, regardless of the sex assigned to them at birth or the sex designation on their legal documents. Proper use of gender identity terms, including pronouns, is a crucial way to signal courtesy and acceptance. It's like pronouncing a person's name correctly. It's a way of respecting people by referring to them in a way that's consistent and true to who they are. So we're going to kickstart the episode with those terms in mind, and we're going to introduce you to all the people and personalities that we're going to feature here. First up, I want to introduce all of you to G. Hi, I'm G. My pronouns are she, they, and I'm a queer Malaysian. I love the term queer because to me, it's an umbrella term that encompasses the nuance, spectrum, fluidity, and intersectionality of my individual experience. I'm non-binary, but assigned female at birth. I'm Indian-Malaysian. My family is of a higher socioeconomic background. And all these identities, being a minority in some aspects, but being privileged in others, makes my queer journey of continuous discovery and self-acceptance unique, just like everybody else's. You'll hear more from G and their opinions on coming out much later. But next, we have Justice and Ken from People Like Us Hangout, or Pluho for short. Pluho is an LGBTQ plus community building group which aims to provide LGBTQ affirming services and support networks. Here they are. My name is Justice. I'm the vice president of Pluho and I'm, it's such a pleasure to be here. My name is Ken. Uh, my pronouns are he and him. I am currently... Uh, the Bluebird Coordinator in Pluho, and I also do some HIV sexual health outreach work as well as mental health outreach work. Pluho stands for People Like Us Hangout, and People Like Us is just the slang uh, that we use locally um, to mean the LGBTQ community. And it started as the name in, uh, indicates as a social uh, event, hangout style, uh, community style uh, social group and it grew uh, over time so this started I think in 2016 and over time it grew to uh, encompass three main areas uh, of work the first one being community building the second one on service delivery and the third one's on empowerment so in each of those different channels Pluho focuses on a few different initiatives Bluebird would be under the service delivery, so Bluebird would be a mental health project uh, that uh, aims to connect clients or people in need with services, uh, support groups, therapy that are LGBTQ affirmative. In addition to that, we also provide HIV and sexual health work, uh, as well as a shelter that is still quite nascent and still quite young, but uh, it's located in Klang Valley and it's there for people who really need uh, an emergency place to stay or uh, additional support. Later, Canon Justice explains how the pandemic has severely impacted their beneficiaries as well as the difficulties of organizing events in advocating for more LGBTQ rights. But up next, we have Mimo. My name is Mimo. This is what my friends call me and I'm a queer Syrian refugee here in Malaysia. I'm also uh, a poet. Um, I've been in Malaysia for almost nine years. Um, 
I worked as an Arabic teacher for eight years until, you know, COVID hit. <laughs> I am non-binary uh, and I go with the pronouns um, they and them. Um, I think being a queer in Malaysia has been incredible and tough at the same time. Um, definitely being here opened a lot of doors for me in terms of um, uh, connection and relationships with the LGBT community in Malaysia. They literally, you know, like folded me or took me to the fold, as they say. And my gender identity discovery, it happened here in Malaysia. So I'm, I'm really thankful for that. Um, but at the same time, this comes with a lot of challenges, you know, being in Malaysia, especially Malaysia is an Islamic country. Um, Islam is the ruling religion. So, you know, like we often get those dirty looks like you're a haram or you're a sin. Mm. You'll hear more from Mimo about how they fell in love last year and how they accidentally came out when they were in school in Syria. Speaking about stories, we would now like to introduce you to Lee of Tabung Pelangi, a Tabung for Malaysian Queers. Hi, I'm Lee, a non-binary Malaysian youth. I founded Tabung Pelangi in the midst of Pride Month last year because I had the thought of helping queer Malaysians get chest binders more easily. It actually started with me holding... Um, chest binder giveaways for queer Malaysians online, some queer friends online. And I realized these things were pretty expensive and inaccessible to most Malaysians. So um, during this time as well, I was reading up more about what organizing is as well as what mutual aid meant. I drew a lot of inspiration from Chestbinder initiatives um, in the US, as well as a lot of other mutual aid initiatives throughout the world, um, some relating to Black Lives Matter, and thought, why not organize online? Why not fundraise online and purchase Chestbinders online for queer Malaysians as well? I know how to shop online. Um, most people do, I think. I know how to use and create Google Forms. I have some spare time to do all these things. Um, At the time, I was a uni student. So why not try and help queer Malaysians in some way? You'll find out more about their great initiative, Stories for a Cause, later in this episode. But coming up next is the fabulous Camilla Kumslut. Hello and salam sejahtera to all my Malaysian family and fellow listeners from wherever you are. I am Kamala Kamslat, born and raised in Kuala Lumpur. In boy drag, I'm Carlos Koo. I'm a fashion photographer during the day. And in the night, I'm your Malaysian drag artist, singer-songwriter and fashion vixen. I identify myself as non-binary or genderqueer. My inspiration for Kamala Kamslat came from my love of performing and entertaining people. I remember ever since I was young, you know, I've always loved to sing and dance. If there are like three artists that truly inspire me from my childhood to my young adulthood to now, I would say are Michael Jackson, Hilary Duff, and Lady Gaga. For those who know me, it's no surprise to know that Lady Gaga is my inspiration, okay? Like she's my mother, she's Mother Monster, and I'm a little monster. 
you know, I'm not a Lady Gaga fan, okay, that's the difference, I'm a little monster. But honestly, like, she is the reason why, you know, I, I, I am brave to be who I am today, you know, she liberated me through her art, through her music, through the message that she stands for, speaking up and standing with the community. You know, Born This Way truly changed my life. Be sure to tune in to hear more about the amazing local drag scene. But up next, we have Mitch, the Executive Director of Seed Foundation, Malaysia's first trans-led community-based organization. I am a 54-year-old transgender man, and um, Seed was established in 2014 um, with a few other transgender leaders. It was created because we believe at that point in time there is a need for the transgender community in Malaysia to have a voice, a more solidified, unified voice. And at that point in time, we did not have a transgender-led organization. And SEED became the one. I think for some, there's no difference between transgender individual and the people out there. Some of us may be affected by it. Some of us may not be affected by it. Or we are just resilient. I mean, just imagine, you see, being a transgender person itself, to be able <laughs> to be transgender, we are supposed to go through no, to meet to go for counseling, you know, to, to, to meet psychiatrists before a certain counselors are able to say that, hey, you have gender identity dysphoria. Therefore you are transgender. Can you imagine that we need someone else to tell us who we are? I mean I don't see you going through that. I don't see the binaries, you know, the, cis, the cisgender person going through that. But I guess this is what we have to go through when we live in, when we are a minority, when we are invisible. Mitch will be explaining more about the trans experience in Malaysia and what it really means to live in their shoes. Next, we have Kim Chi Lai, a bilingual poet based in Kuala Lumpur who goes by the pronouns she, her. If you are currently struggling with sexuality or on the fence about what to do, how to feel about it or what your sexual orientation is, I know what it feels like to struggle with the way you love in fear that others will not be accepting of you. Uh, I know what that feels like and I know it sucks. It really, really sucks. It's awful and it's... Uh, it, it just fills you with this sort of dread and indignance at the world, like because you just want to you just want to do this one thing uh, that is such an integral part of you. Uh, it's and it's how it's an integral part of how you live life, and you're plagued by this fear that the people around you won't be accepting enough. Um, and to that, I only have to say that it gets better. It definitely gets better. You will find your community. Um, because you deserve love, and we all deserve love. You'll find out more about Kimchi's coming out story later. 
Last but not least, we have Raj, a South Asian non-binary person living in Darwin, Australia. While spotlighting the views of Malaysians are important, we thought it was also equally important to platform views of individuals who have lived in nearby countries like Singapore and Australia, especially as a point of comparison. I am a 33-year-old non-binary person. Um, I live in Darwin in Australia, but I grew up here as well, like down south in um, Geelong and Melbourne. So I sing and perform. Um, I do massage therapy um, and I also look after young children and I'm studying mental health, um, development, alcohol and other drug studies as well, just um, recovery and uh, life is very full. and. Um, yeah, I really, I really enjoy living in Darwin. There's a massive karaoke culture here because we're close to Southeast Asia. I'm from Southeast Asian Indian Punjabi culture and um, my parents grew up in Southeast Asia. They moved here. I was born here, um, but we did spend a number of years in Singapore as well. So during the time that I lived in Singapore, I didn't even know really much about queer and homosexuality or anything like this. And when I was like 12, we came back to Australia and this whole new world opened up to me because things are very different down here. My name is I would prefer to be called Ismem, and while I haven't come out of the closet to many people just yet, I want to share my story as I believe that it could help other people and myself realize that no matter where they are in the world, they have an entire community of generally kind-hearted beings that would support them regardless of their identity or sexual orientation. They would support them for making it this far in life and being this brave. I myself am lesbian, and I personally have suffered being verbally and physically abused in schools. The extent I have been bullied to at school alone due to me being attracted to the same gender has caused not only me, but many of my friends to go into depression. It hurt me because I thought that no one would accept me for who I am or who other people are. And it hurt my friends because they thought it wasn't safe to come out of the closet to anyone. I've had my head smashed against the wall, my fingers dislocated, my tooth kicked out, and my arms bleeding all for trying to come out to my best friend at the time. And I hope to every god, to every bigger being, and to every spirit that no one had to go through the same thing or worse. But no matter how much I had hoped, it never seemed to come true. It took me five years to try to come out again, and for the first time, I felt safe. I found out that the person I had come out to was in the LGBTQ community too, and the second person I had come out to supported us and everyone else with all their heart. It made me feel whole again and helped me realize that what one person says doesn't matter, nor does it matter what a billion people say. What matters is what you say and how you feel. Being bullied in school didn't only hurt me or my friends, it hurt an entire world of people that I will always support, but after coming out, I learned to trust people more. Now, where I am, I have a lot more friends than I used to, and I have learned to trust them and I have one person that I love with all of my heart, and for the first time I believe that she loves me too. My story may not have been the most inspirational thing, 
But one thing that I learned from my story was that no matter how low you are feeling, there's always going to be one or a hundred people in your life that can help you get back up. And one day, regardless whether it's now or ten years from now, you realize that as long as you allow yourself to be happy, that's what you will always be. Everyone in the world lives under the same sun. One day, we'll learn to live as one. That was our community member Samantha reading out an anonymous story sent to us via Google Form. My silence has not protected me, and your silence will not protect you. Audrey Lord. Audrey Lord described herself as black, lesbian, mother, warrior, poet. In her writing, she frequently expressed her anger at the treatment of people of color, women, and LGBTQ folk. To many in the queer community, staying silent and in the closet felt like a safety blanket. However, Lord encouraged them to step out of the light, telling them that the only true safety is in making yourself known and demanding the acceptance and respect that is your right. However, that is something that's very difficult to do in Malaysia, especially since there are many, many laws, both on a sharia and criminal level, that prohibits queer individuals in Malaysia to not just express themselves in the way that they want to, identify in the gender identity of their choosing, as well as to be loved and love whoever they want, and to be recognized for that difference and that distinction. Human Rights Watch reports that state-level Sharia or Islamic laws prohibits cross-dressing, and transgender people face arbitrary arrests, physical and sexual assault, imprisonment, discriminatory denial of healthcare and employment, and other abuses. It is also illegal to change your gender or official documents. Here is Mitch explaining what it truly means to be a trans person living in Malaysia. I just want you to just close your eyes and imagine this, yeah? You are not the binary. You're not either a man. You're not the norm, you know? And once you have identified yourself to be a transgender person, right? But then your identification does not say so. Your identification still identifies you as the person that you are not. When you go to school, you have to conform to what the society out there expect you to be. You know, if you are a transgender woman, you go to school wearing, you know, the, the, the pants and you have to navigate yourself to be just like everyone else. And if you are slightly effeminate, you are then pushed, you know, people will start discriminating you. So, sometimes some, some of us have to decide either to be true to ourselves and stop wherever, whatever it is right at this point in time or continue because there is something bigger at the end of the day. Some continue, some don't. And for those who continue, and then they go to university, for example, and what happens at the university? You still have to conform to what the society expects you to because your ID does not say who you are. And then you finish your studying, you decide to go to work. And then when you go for your job interview, 
the employer looks at you and says, hmm, you don't look like your ID. Do you get a job? Do you not get the job? The employer may be interested in you, may not be interested in you. If you do get a job, you will also go through discrimination by your colleagues. If you don't get a job, it goes back to square one. What, what do you do to survive? And when that happens, if you don't have the means to survive, what happens? I was just in a conversation earlier with someone and the person said to me that transgender person, in actual fact, we don't belong. We don't belong to the country. We don't belong to a religion because religion don't accept us and we don't even belong to the society. So, can you imagine how it feels like to be a transgender person? Mitch's question really hit me to the core because if I'm being honest, I can't even begin to imagine how it feels like, how difficult it would be to just exist. Putting yourself in somebody else's shoes is important in order to foster empathy and understanding between communities. Brene Brown, vulnerability expert and one of my favorite TED Talk speakers of all time, once said, I define connection as the energy that exists between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued, when they can give and receive without judgment, and when they derive sustenance and strength from the relationship. Here is Lee of Tabung Pelangi talking about the importance of stories and how it can create this kind of connection. Yeah, Malaysian stories and voices are important to highlight because stories are actually really powerful. And my hope for these stories is that, is that it brings a measure of comfort uh, and belonging to other queer Malaysians. Um, especially, I think, when queer Malaysians are more visible, I think the effect that has on more closeted queer Malaysians, um, the, the effect is really powerful and it can mean... It can be life-saving at times just to know that you're not alone. We deserve and demand spaces to not only exist, but to thrive. And I think true stories just showing that queer Malaysians are here, queer, queer Malaysians deserve, a, deserve to live safely, happily, and with dignity. That has, I think, a lot of... Um, benefit to queer Malaysians. Beyond that, I think these stories can move others. They can change how others think. What better way to dismantle misconceptions about us than through stories by us? So Stories for a Cause is a non-profit queer Malaysian art museum. Um, how it works is that we put out a call for pitches uh, for stories by queer Malaysians. So after a selection process, um, what we do is we commission a select few artists as, and writers to actually create that story. Um, I think it's very important to highlight here that we don't ask for finished work. It's not a competition. It's a commission. We commission the work and people, queer Malaysians actually work 
for us to create and write these stories. We try to pay fairly because queer people are always told to tell our stories, to tell our stories, to tell our stories. But very often, it often, very often this requires a certain amount of privilege um, because not everyone can expend that time and energy to tell these stories. In simpler words, um, artists and writers need to eat. <laughs> anyway, after I compile all these stories into a zine, the intention is to sell this to fundraise for local queer initiatives. So besides the benefit of having more queer Malaysian stories, we also want to tangibly help the community. Last year, um, our fundraiser recipient was Seed Malaysia. This year, all our proceeds are going towards Pluho Org's Bluebird Project, a queer-affirming mental health program. We're hoping to fund a subsidy fund for mental health care for queer Malaysians because mental health care is expensive and if we can make it slightly more accessible to queer Malaysians, then all the better. We're using stories for good. I'm happy to announce that in just over one week, Tabung Plangi has raised more than 2,000 USD to support Pluho's queer-affirming mental health services, the Bluebird Project. The second edition of Stories for a Cause will still be available for purchase until the 18th of August. So please, please check out Tabung Pelangi on Instagram or our show notes for the purchase link. Speaking of their beneficiary, here is Ken talking about why these mental health services are sorely needed, especially during this difficult time. I think what we saw, and this is because Bluebird started during the pandemic, was a big surge in family issues that were previously manageable or perhaps even kind of ignored because people were not bound to their rooms, to their families, to their homes 24-7 like we are even right now. And this close proximity with a family who may not be accepting or may not even know about um, their daughter's or their, their, their child's LGBTQ status. Uh, I think we saw that being a big trigger point for many people. In addition to that, we also saw the elimination of a lot of social spaces, safe spaces that the community would congregate around and would use as uh, spaces for peer support, spaces for connection, spaces for accessing and finding out about other resources. So everything turned online. But as we know, um, there is nothing quite like face-to-face -face communication and there's nothing quite like a hug. Um, as much as it's great that we can see each other through videos, talk to each other and WhatsApp each other, uh, it's not a replacement for physical touch. It's not, a, it's not a replacement for quality time spent with each other in person or going out and having fun or even... Um, being able to find your friends and you know vent to them in person when things are not going good in the household. So I think uh, a major trigger point was just what we all collectively had to go through, which was to social distance, as well as to be cooped up with a family that may not be accepting or may not be um, aware of our needs or sensitive and able to provide for our needs and being very limited in the channels that we could use. Um, as queer people to get the support that we needed. 
so we see a lot of uh, complaints of anxiety. I think we see people mentioning feeling depressed. We also do get uh, people writing in saying that they feel suicidal. And it is uh, important to recognize and to put words to what you're feeling. And it's actually fantastic that people are getting in touch with what is going on emotionally and they're writing in. Um, but it's also important, equally important, to recognize that there are resources and services out there for each of these. And it's important to know um, where you can access these resources, how you can access them, and which resources uh, are most important in an emergency situation, such as feeling suicidal or feeling uh, or even uh, self-harming or, or feeling like you may harm others so usually for this service even though we do cater to everyone and we do provide peer support and we do give people therapy referrals regardless of you know whatever their complaint is we do our best to serve them usually if you are going through something like, like feeling suicidal or feeling like you want to self-harm or harm others uh, there are resources out there that can respond much more uh, with a much more timely manner and to be honest um, with much more professional experience so we usually would recommend people who are feeling suicidal to just go to the nearest hospital and ask to see uh, a psychiatrist in the emergency department tell them what you're going through and they will usually pre prescribe um, emergency medication for you so that you can feel better immediately so that you can then take time to process what's going on and get the treatment that you need. If what Ken has shared resonated with you and you're struggling with your mental health, Ken has provided a really useful list of resources for queer affirming support, which I've pasted in our show notes. Alternatively, please do reach out to Pluho and its Bluebird project. Ken told us that Pluho has personally interviewed and vetted all of their mental health care professionals to ensure that they are truly queer affirming. So please feel free to reach out. But for now, let's hear it from Mimo. Personally, I didn't have many bad experiences just once um, at a book fair. It was a big bad uh, um, book fair where um, I decided to wear a tie that day. And I went with a friend and the security guard uh, was a Malaysian. He was offended by the way I look. <laughs> and uh, he was confused about my gender and he was asking me things like, uh, our prompuan at our lucky, you know, and uh, this is this is the first time that I ha I was actually you know like harassed for being a queer in Malaysia. I mean, uh, this incident I remember it very very vividly because it was scary, you know, like mm. I was I was genuinely scared and it stick with me, but uh, it didn't stop me from being who I am. So I always try to present myself to who I who I truly am, you know, mm. and yeah. And I dress in a respectful and comfortable way, you know. Uh, but other than that, um, I was able to come out to, to many people uh, in my workplace and uh, my friends' circles, and everybody was supporting and, you know, understanding to who I am. So, yeah, it's not always bad in Malaysia, you know, but we have to be uh, cautious. A 2013 Pew Research Center opinion survey showed that only 9% of the Malaysian population believed homosexuality should be accepted by society, while 86% believed it should not. 
Malaysia was one of the Asian countries polled with the least acceptance in front of only Indonesia and Pakistan with 3% and 2% respectively. I asked Mitch of Seed Foundation why it was so hard for Malaysians to support the queer community and this is what he says. I think it's not just about Malaysia. It's about people. We need to understand the psychology of people. Number one, people are usually afraid with things that they don't know. And when they don't know, they don't want to study about it. They don't want to read about it. Because it's easier to say, I don't know, than going deeper and deeper into something that you are afraid would come out and prove you wrong. So it is difficult for people to admit that, for, for a person to admit that we are wrong, right? So it is, for me, the way I look at it, we live in a world where we have been taught from back then this is black and this is white. We live in a world that says blue is blue and green is green. We live in a world that says that this is how you read. You don't read any other way. When you look at this book, you read this way or this way. You don't read it this way. We have been taught to conform. And that's what people are doing. When something is out of the norm, then we find it strange. You know, when something is different, then we find it strange. When someone says, that is no longer purple, but it's pink, then we say, no. That is, you know, that is purple. But some people say it's pink. They do not see the fluidity of colors. And just like us, we are fluid. And that's where all this discrimination comes in. Oh, if you are, if you cheat, then it falls into this race. If you are lazy, it falls into this race, you know? So we, it's easier for us to categorize because it's easier for us to put everything in a box. Instead of opening the box slightly bigger, we put everything in the box. Despite these difficulties though, the LGBTQ community in Malaysia is extremely tight-knit and welcoming. Here is Ken of Pluho and Mimo talking about the local queer community. It's kind of a, a byproduct of how oppression works and how you know, um, LGBTQ spaces and organizations have to exist in sort of an underground way. We're all really close-knit as organizations, as communities, and if you want to get connected to any of the community resources, all you have to do is get in touch with one person, one point in this network, and chances are we will know someone who can refer and refer and refer and refer you to the right person that you need. So it all starts with reaching out, it all starts with asking. Uh, there is never any harm in asking. Um, 
and also in a way because of how we are um, we are now structured in response to the oppression and you know in, in response to how our, our in a way our right to public spaces is taken away from us we're also I would say a very inclusive and very close-knit community and we welcome anyone to come we're, we're at a point where um, the community is still growing and we're, we love having people join so even if you are not decidedly LGBTQ or if you're questioning um, we would love to have you uh, join us and and uh, one, one other thing I wanted to just talk about is that if if you see someone who is going through a hard time or you see you know any kind of behavior that might be a symptom or um, might give you um, reason to pause uh, and and think that this person is is facing um, any kind of mental health challenge to bravely ask and bravely uh, reach out to the person you don't have to be a therapist you don't have to have a bunch of resources at your fingertips to connect that person um, often just having a connection even a virtual connection even via text is hugely relieving to the person who, who to anyone who may be going through a mental health uh, challenge so reach out connect uh, we need that more than ever they are amazing people i mean each and every one of them has their own unique personality and life story that is just amazing and they did they didn't just like accept me to the fold they told me a lot of things they made me feel like I'm part of a family, that I belong to this community. And they also gave me the platform to actually perform my poetry there, you know, because they are very supportive of uh, new acts and uh, they have their own events of open mics. So they're trying to uh, give a platform to everybody to be heard. Similarly, there's also a burgeoning local drag scene. Here is Camilla Kamslat explaining more. We know that Malaysia isn't like the most queer-friendly country, <laughs> you know, but no doubt we have some some of the most amazing and super talented queer people here in Malaysia, you know, who are full of love, you know, and I want to like to also remind people that we are full of love. I, I really want to, to express my, my gratitude towards everybody for supporting our events and showing love to our local drag queens and queer community, you know, after all the parties that we had. I mean, like, everything was going so good before the MCO, honestly. I was doing about, like, two to three parties every month. Before that, like, when I started, I just do, like, one party every month, you know, because it's a monthly thing, and we're kind of, like, discreet about it, and all. It's kind of, like, if you know, you know. I mean, it's just true words of mouth. And, you know, honestly, like, it was growing... Like, it was growing before the MCO. Things were going so good. Like, I was loving it. We were all loving it. We had more queens coming out. We had more people coming out to the party. Dressing up, being themselves, dancing, having a good time. I mean, if honestly, if it weren't for the MCO, I believe we could have definitely done a lot more. You know? Not just parties, but also things to support the community also and to bring awareness. I mean, honestly, it's it's I it's not like a gay party or anything. It's a party for everybody. 
that's what it is, you know, it's a place of, you know, no judgment. You can just truly be who you are, nobody cares, you know, have a good, have a drink, have a good time, you know, dance, make friends. That's what we, friends, you know, we need to share love, that's what we need. Honestly, like, the reason why, like, I also do all these parties is because I realized, like, to me, before I started doing drag, I've always gone to Rainbow Roja. That, to me, was a safe space. I could dress up, I could be myself by the space without feeling like, oh my god, is anybody like judging me or whatever, you know? And I felt like that was so important. That was so important because this environment, I cannot find it anywhere else. Babel Dance celebrated Pride Month by inviting many of Malaysia's drag queens, including Camilla Kamslet, to express themselves in song and dance as well as through a series of engaging talks on their YouTube channel. Many local drag queens like Carmen Rose, Acne Scare, and Giselle Fendi was featured. Be sure to check out their talks on allyship as well. Speaking about MCO and online events, I believe that having queer events in public spaces it's really important to raise awareness, build community, and establish understanding. However, this is very difficult to do since being queer is still considered a crime in Malaysia. For example, in May 2017, the LGBTQ Pride March organized by Taylor's University was cancelled due to Islamist pressure. While in 2019, there was a public outcry over the presence of LGBTQ groups at a march celebrating International Women's Day. I asked Justice of Pluho how big of a struggle is it to organize these events? And this is what he says. Well, the, the challenge is huge. It has always been huge. And the thing about organizing event is LGBTQ organization over here in Malaysia, we, there's a lot of restriction, there's a lot of state scrutiny that we have to spend a lot of energy in cultivating our own community, in, you know, offline, online. and organizing activity that is very public-facing or um, quote-unquote high risk put everyone in the community at risk, right? And that is sometimes the biggest effect that we want to, the biggest uh, factor that we want to think about because it's, it's not just about you and me, it's about us. And, but that also comes with a civil, that, that also comes with a cons of like, if we overthink risk, we might not end up doing we, we might end up doing nothing. So that's a constant struggle that Bluehole and I can speak on behalf of other organizations as well. This is the, the largest thing. But, um, but spaces are really important. That's why we are doing everything we can to protect it. Um, there might not be a lot of public events, but um, there is a lot of community building being done with all the LGBTQ community or organization. And I just want to say like Pride Month, like people need to know Pride Month started with a riot. It's not a celebration, like it's protest. <laughs> so it's just that, you know, in other countries, people start to get um, recognitions are here, awareness level are there. People took it um, more to like a celebration of identity, of their sexuality. But in a country in Malaysia, like, yes, yeah, celebration, yes, for sure. But that needs, to, that needs to be an outlet for us to talk about discrimination, uh, systematic oppression and stuff. You, you know, it's not just about celebration and yeah, pride over here in Malaysia is just people protecting each other, people actually providing peer support to each other, which is really sweet. And of course, there's a lot of organizations like Seek to, Speak to, Seek to Speak as well, like, you know, amplifying our voices, which is really important. And I have a really cute story about Women's March. I think Women's March is a 
really really good outlet for the LGBTQ um, community to to express right um, that is the pinnacle of the like, intersectionality in activism I remember last year during the women's march um, we were told to to unite all the queer people like it's just like a, a, an instruction that we get all the queer people together and once we get everyone together the organization told us that they are gonna put us in the middle of the march because we are going to be protected by the women's and also the allies like that is such a sweet story like yeah that is what people can do together and it was so sweet that was like allyship speaking on striking a balance between being yourself and getting unwanted attention here is raj from australia talking about how it feels to be able to show your true self like i can look okay and confident on the surface and i've been doing that for many many years i've always been extremely um fearless about self-expression however what's going on under the surface that you can't see below the iceberg that you can see is a lot of insecurity a lot of thought a lot of you know like exhausting process of presenting a certain way and like being aware of like other people being there and all of this stuff that happens um in the background you know uh and wearing a bunch of different masks like being being able to express myself as an as a non-binary person but not be my authentic self at the same time so really the more wholesome part of this this life that i've lived has happened in the last five years and say maybe about three years ago i started wearing high heels to work with a suit and i remember very clearly going downstairs and buying these, this pair of stilettos from Witness, which is this shoe shop that was downstairs from our office building. I was working for an insurance firm in Melbourne at the time. And, and I remember putting them on. I remember how powerful and full I felt, you know? And I was like, I, I sat in front of my computer screen after like, you know, strutting across like the hallway at work after I got out of the lift, you know, had <laughs> this whole moment. And I remember sitting down and my back, my posture was straight and I had this focus and I was so productive. And I was like, how important it is, is it to be yourself? You know, like how it reflects in all these other areas of your life. Like I was more productive at work. I was happier. I got all these compliments, you know, like, which is really cool as well. And the company also reached out to me to represent them, you know, as a non-binary person or whatever, you know, that all of these different things that come along with it, you know, um, sometimes it's too much attention, you know, uh, sometimes you just want to be part of the crowd as well. I guess my biggest challenge today is like being able to still dress up the way I want to dress to be able to achieve the feeling of disappearing into the crowd. Lie to yourself about this and you'll forever lie about everything. Everybody already knows everything, so you can lie to them. That's what they want. But lie to yourself. What you will lose is yourself. Then you turn into them. For each gay kid whose adolescence was America in the 40s or 50s, the primary, the crucial scenario forever is coming out. Or not, or not, or not, or not, or not. 
That was our community member Abigail reciting Frank Bidart's 2013 poem, simply called Queer. According to the Trevor Project's Coming Out Handbook for LGBTQ Young People, questioning your identity is an experience that lots of people have many times throughout their lives. Identity is complicated, and if you aren't sure how you identify, that is okay. You are allowed to not have everything figured out right at this moment. Taking some time to think through how you feel can be helpful in better understanding your gender identity, gender expression, and or sexual orientation. According to Ralph Waldo Emerson, to be yourself in a world that is constantly trying to make you something else is the greatest accomplishment. Here is Camilla talking about finding confidence after Lady Gaga concert. Just being with people that I love, with her and her music, like she made me feel like, you know what? I can like do it. Oh my God, can I swear? <laughs> yes, yes. No, I, like, she made me feel like, you know, I can like, do anything in my life. You know, that really changed. That's when, like, you know, I also start. I haven't started doing... I only started doing drag, like, in 2006, late 2016. But back in 2012, like, that's when I started doing my photography, you know. After that show, you know, I became more brave in terms of, like, you know, I wear what I want. I color the hair the way that I want, you know. My, my mom used to get so... um mad at me because of my hair and she I remember the first time I came home like with like super bright red hair and then she was like what is this like say you know go and cut it's like e you know color back you know to brown or black or you know and then that like kind of like pissed me off <laughs> in a way so I called my hairdresser I said that hey I want to change my hair color so I went there and I did like super neon pink and it was my first time like bleaching and mind you i kept that pink for six years so i never changed my hair color actually for six years i just left it on yeah people know me for my hair color it's so funny right people like oh it's that that pink hair photographer you know that pink hair fashion photographer you know but they don't know why they but they recognize my hair yeah so that was me like rebelling but at the same time it's also basically em- expressing and embracing who I truly am. Coming out refers to the process that people who are LGBTQ go through as they work to accept their sexual orientation or gender identity and share that identity openly with other people. Here is Raj talking about how he came out without really coming out. My parents always loved me, but they really did show me as well that they had an issue with me being feminine and it concerned them because you know a parent wants their child to live in the world as it is comfortably however of course you know over time with a changing world and with all the challenges and having children is is also a growth process for parents in their own way they've really come to be very understanding and open um i guess living in australia as a queer person um i I always tell people that I never really came out of the closet. I just kind of fell out, you know, (laughs) (laughs) it just happened, you know, Um, I never really think about, um, I don't really have a specific coming out thing. Um, People always asked me before I was able to tell them. People always go, hey, I'm okay with it, but are you gay or blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I got got bullied a lot for it. Like I went to a Catholic boys school in Geelong. And I mean, there was a lot of, there was a lot of suffering around it as well. Um, 
uh, back then. Um, but for me, I don't think it broke me. It caused a lot of problems for me later that I had to like overcome and grow from. But I also built like, you know, I, like general stripes, you know, like I became quite strong. So later on in my 20s and stuff, like I said, like coming out, living in Australia as a queer person, I haven't really had that much of a problem. Coming out isn't a one-time thing. It's actually a lifelong process and a decision that people have to make again and again in new situations. People may be out in some places and still in in others. While Mimo accidentally came out in school, they only identified as a non-binary after reading a particular book. So here is Mimo explaining their coming out story. It's something I always felt, but I didn't have the language yet to address it. I did not know what it is. Uh, since I was um, a child, I knew I was different. My interests were different from girls in my age. Um, and um, it was a struggle growing up, not knowing, you know, like, where do you fit? So I've never felt that I'm a male and I never felt I'm a female. You know, I, I couldn't fit in those, in, in both genders. So it was really confusing growing up um, but um, through the journey that I went through and the people that I met and a lot of research you know to, because if you are not happy with yourself that's a problem and I wanted to reach to a point that I need to accept myself for who I am and before I do that I need to know who I am you know mm. uh, a lot of uh, a lot of LGBTQ people are struggling with with the self-love you know and this uh, due to, to social pressures and uh, how we are raised. And like, for example, I came from the Middle East, you know, in Syria, growing up in Syria isn't really easy, wasn't really easy. Um, so, yeah. And then I, I discovered the term non-binary and or gender gender queer, and it's it's an umbrella term for gender identities that are neither male male or female. You know, identities that are outside the gender binary, and this is how I've always felt. Mm. So it was just a fit, you know. And yeah, I'm I'm I can say that I 100% love and accept myself now. And uh, when I say non-binary, I say it with pride, you know, because it really fits who I am. So I, I had this incident in school and this is one of my coming out accidentally stories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, was, I was 16 years old and mm. uh, I was in all girls schools, uh, school and um, our schools, uh, like, uh, they were very strict. They will have rates, you know, into the classrooms and they will go through your belonging and backpacks oh, wow. to, to see if you have illegal stuff, you know. Um, I, I grew up during the, the, the father Assad regime. So mm. the, the government and the military controlled everything. My uniforms, my school uniform used to be a military outfit, you know. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Uh, so they found in my backpack uh, love letters and poems, you know, written to, to a girl I had crush on at that time. And I got suspended uh, three days for that. Uh, this is the first time that my parents were like, okay, there's something wrong here, right? So I had my school principal say to me, there are no lesbians in my school you know, after this incident, what this principal didn't realize is that there were no visible queer students in school, most likely because it was not a safe space. 
you know mm. we mastered the art of blend blending in and pretend, pretending to 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 be straight and visibility and safety are tightly interwoven together you know especially in any school related contest we did exist but we didn't have the courage to be seen and be visible so the belief that you can tell who queer people are by simply looking at them or or listening to them is 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 not true it's based on uh, old unfounded stereotypes and belief, you know, just not like, not all gay men are hairdressers, not all mm. lesbians are truck drivers or mechanic, and mm. not all transgender people are gender non-confirming or cross-dress. You know, these, these uh, stereotypes are rooted in, in powerful beliefs about gender and how people should express their gender identity in typically masculine or feminine ways, you know. So, um, and I think uh, these kind of stereotypical beliefs often keep people trapped in gender box, you know, which serve, as you mentioned before, to regulate and limit the full expression of their identities. There is a lot of risk in coming out, which is why many people choose not to. So please don't be mad at a friend or family member and say, why didn't you tell me before? Because it's really hard to predict how people will respond to someone coming out. And sometimes the results can be extremely damaging, other times surprisingly positive. Here is G's story of self-discovery and acceptance. It's sad that queer people still need to come out when the default should be not assuming anyone's gender or sexuality. And that includes when a child is born. Compulsory heterosexuality is what prolonged my journey of figuring out who I already was to begin with. Growing up in Malaysia in the 2000s, I had no clue that the LGBTQIA community even existed. No representation, nobody talked about it in my small town. So here's where my socioeconomic background comes in. My family could afford a computer, so in high school, I would look things up on the internet. My English was fluent, and that led me to stumble upon queer books and movies, which propelled me to become an ally and start questioning. And when you're young, love looks less sexual and more, oh my god, you're my bestest friend in the world and I want to hang out with you forever. And I had those moments, but even after high school, since I was pansexual and I was attracted to boys, I thought, no, it couldn't be. So I spent a few years not really thinking about it because if I accepted that part of me, it was too painful to admit that my parents didn't love me unconditionally because of all the subtle homophobic things they were already saying about other people. And I, and I believe unconsciously that repression made me develop an avoidant attachment. It made it really hard for me to lean on people and be truly vulnerable because I believed that I had to hide some part of myself to be accepted. Like nobody ever talks about how isolating and damaging being in the closet can be, but it truly is. This heteronormative society can be traumatizing to queer and straight people. But at one point, after finding and learning more about the community, being engulfed in positive representation in media and in real life, I shared this part of myself to my friends and siblings, and all of them have been affirming and supportive. I remember all the times I told different people, and on the surface, I would act all nonchalant, and maybe that's why we didn't have any movie moments of crying and hugging, even though looking back, my heart was always racing, and I would have loved to have a movie moment. 
when it comes to my parents, I've tried testing the waters with talking about gay rights, but have been met with a lot of animosity. So for my safety and mental health, I've decided not to come out to them. And it truly hurts me to keep this hidden from them. And there are days where all I can do is cry about this. But I hope that once I become financially stable, I can come out to them and fully live my truth. Dean Edda once said, Don't come out unless you want to. Don't come out for anyone else's sake. Don't come out because you think society expects you to. Come out for yourself. Come out to yourself. Shout, sing it, softly stutter, correct those who say they knew before you did. That's not how sexuality works. It's yours to define. Sharing similar views with G, this is Kim Chi talking about her coming out story with her family and how difficult it was. Me coming to terms with my sexuality was very chill. My family discovering my sexuality was very much less chill. Um, around two years ago, I posted a picture of myself with my now ex-girlfriend uh, on social media. And it went, and because uh, I was, it was Pride Month, so I put a hashtag on it. So it went slightly viral. So quite a number of, so it, got, so it gained quite, a, quite an amount of traction on social media. And a family member uh, saw it. <laughs> Uh, screenshotted it and sent it to my entire family group chat. Mm. Uh, so, and my family's huge. My, there are about mm. 30 to 40 people in that group chat. Mm-hmm. So overnight, um, I think it's also important to preface this that I, like I said uh, before, I grew up in a very conservative uh, yeah. Chinese family. Um, and they never, they were never really oppressed me for whatever I did but they were definitely disapproving of it mm-hmm. and if I had it my way I probably wouldn't have come out for the rest of my life mm-hmm. I probably would not uh, to my family at least that is because I you know family is what you make of it and I was yeah. never really close to my family growing up for personal reasons and I've already been lucky enough to be surrounded with people who understand me to be to have my own community and so I really didn't think it was necessary to come out. Another thing about coming out, another thing about sexuality, don't feel the need to tell every to tell everyone, to tell people or to tell certain people just because they're so close to you if mm. you are if you still hold it in if you still hold fear that they might be disapproving. Do it at your own pace and to the and to people that you are completely comfortable with. Anyways. Yeah, overnight, my sexuality, uh, I, overnight, I was outed to my family, really. That's what happened. And it was really, really terrifying uh, because I just got this call out of nowhere. And it was my relatives screaming down the phone, asking oh, me no. what this picture, what this picture meant, what this picture implied. Uh, and why was I posting all this on the internet? Um, and why was I so so proud about, you know, whatever I'm doing and I didn't I didn't dare to go home for two weeks I was got kicked out of home but eventually it didn't happen because like most conflicts like with most conflicts that happen in conservative Chinese families we simply forget it ever happened mm-hmm. uh yeah and yeah I, I I didn't go home for two weeks uh I lived with my then girlfriend uh whose family was thankfully uh completely accepting and very warm and welcoming to me and comforted me in a really, really rough time. But I went home and it was as if nothing had happened. They just pretended like there was no 
harsh conversation. There was no aggressive threat, threatening. There was no mention of conversion camp, which, by the way, is still a thing in Malaysia in 2020, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I was, I'd say for the most part at first, I was obviously really, really relieved because they, I guess, let it go or at least forgot about it. And then I was really angry for a while as well because what was the point of, you know, all the verbal and emotional and mental abuse that you inflicted mm. on me in an attempt to prove that in, in an attempt to prove your point, in an attempt to go over me and shame me for this part of my life that I keep from you mm. simply it like specifically to avoid you shaming me for it. What was the point of of being so angry and and causing me so much hurt and pain only for you to forget it or for only for you to pretend it never happened a couple of weeks a couple of weeks later and and now i have to walk around now i have to unpack all this baggage that people that watched me grow up people that pretty much raised me insisted mm. onto me um and yeah like i said it, it made me really angry for a while uh so thank god for therapy uh <laughs> yeah and I I I I I think every like I said, uh, coming out is different for everyone. Coming out is a different process for every is a pro- different process for every single person, and uh, because I had it so rough with my family, um, I found it uh, really difficult to be around friends whose families were accepting of, you know, their gender or their sexuality or just. Parts of them who are uh, parts of them that are uh, that would conventionally be less easy to accept in Malaysian society. Mm-hmm. I found it really. I found it pretty difficult to be friends to be around friends who had that upbringing because I was so envious and so mm-hmm. bitter about what I had gone through. Mm, yeah, I eventually, uh, I eventually worked through it because I learned to realize. That again, uh, sexuality is a really, really nuanced thing, and everyone experiences it differently. And it's difficult, really, to pin down how to navigate this thing, especially in a country that is so, you know, intent on wiping us out. Um, so I think the most important thing to con- to hold in your heart when it comes to sexuality, at least for me, is kindness and good faith. Um, and, and in yourself and in the people that you know are struggling or in the people that are simply trying to be there for you. Coming out is a very brave thing to do and is extremely personal and different for everyone. Your emotions when coming out may range from scared, anxious, to elated and relieved. There's no one right way to come out. You and only you are in charge of your coming out experience and it's up to you to choose how, where, when and with whom to be open about your sexual orientation or gender identity. At the dark street corner where guilt and desire are attempting to stare each other down, presently, one of them will light a cigarette and glance in the direction of the abandoned warehouse. Love came slouching along, an exploded silence standing a little apart but visible anyway in the yellow light.
silent, steaming light, while guilt and desire wrangled, trying not to be overheard by this trespasser. That was our community member Alana reciting an extract from James Baldwin's famous poem, Guilt, Desire and Love. Horace Cope said, One day we won't have to come out of the closet. We'll just say we are in love, and that will be all that matters. I believe love is a universal emotion, yet for many, to love is a radical act, and to love themselves and their lovers outwardly is considered revolutionary. So to close part one of our Pride podcast special, I would like to end with a few love stories. While same-sex love and the expression of such love is illegal in Malaysia, where there have been cases of public canings or imprisonment for those found guilty, I would like to remind everyone of the universality of love and how there is no difference between heterosexual love and homosexual love. Here is Mimo talking about their relationship with Nirvana and later Kimchi talking about her experience with love and showing affection. Uh, well, my partner uh, Nirvana, uh, she is uh, Iranian Indian and we met uh, during the first lockdown last year in March. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's a little funny story because... Um, well, we met on a dating app and it was tender of all apps, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we both were stuck at home and a uh, little bored and we got on the app, we got matched and we just like start started talking to each other. And then I asked her, how do you feel about breaking the rules, you know, of the MCO? And she was like, yeah, let's do it. So we met during the lockdown and we started dating. And last year we celebrate, last month in May, we celebrated our first anniversary. Well, definitely I'm always like cautious of what I do and what I say uh, in public, especially in an environment that I feel it's not safe uh, for people to know. But we were, I mean, I think we were, we are lucky that we didn't really encounter any incident so far. So we were able to show some, some what of affection in, in public, like holding hands, you know, we went to Genting, for example, for example, we made out on the side of the road. Uh, we tr yeah, okay. we went. We went to Perhentian. We also kind of, uh, you know, like made out on the beach and people were were just, you know, like they were happy and accepting. And it was, it, it felt, it felt natural. You know what I mean? It felt uh, safe. And yeah, and this is what everybody wants, you know, to, 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 to feel safe in their own skin. What's the queer dating scene in like in Malaysia? <laughs> Incestuous as hell. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm kidding. That, that That's just an inside joke that my friends and I like to have because Kuala Lumpur everyone is, knows is, so, everyone. is so small and everyone just sort of knows everyone. Queer dating in Malaysia. I'd equate it to, to like being in a thunderstorm mm. uh, because it's intoxicating, it's overwhelming and in some and it can be destructive and it can, you know, ruin your life and ruin whatever and ruin the space that you've so you worked all your life to build and be comfortable in um but if you're i say i'd say if you find the right person or if 
you're privileged enough to be in a space or be surrounded by people that uh, will protect you or will comfort you or will hold you through it, then it's a pretty, and then it just becomes a night in, uh, hiding from the storm, uh, keyword hiding. Mm-hmm. I'd say it is, it's, for me, it's been quite similar to, I suppose, heterosexual dating. Um, <laughs> now that sounds strange, doesn't it? I suppose it, I suppose it's been a pretty similar experience for me. But as for displaying public affection, uh, I, I've been with different partners uh, who are comfortable with various, com- comfortable with public affection to various extents. Mm. So I think, uh, so I would say I'm coming from a place of privilege because I'm cisgendered and I present quite feminine. Uh, so I've had the privilege of having, so of being quite comfortable with showing affection towards my friends. Uh, regardless of gender but uh, as I grow up and as I observe and also make friends with other people uh, it's not the same for everyone Uh, there are a lot of people in my life that I'm friends with or I've been in relationships with that are not necessarily the most secure about you know something as simple as holding their partner's head in public Um, and for the most part, I respect it. I understand that, you know, innate fear that, you know, people will judge, people will discriminate. And Malaysia is as oppressive as we know it is. Similar to Mimo, here is G talking about the relationship. My partner and I met very romantically, you know, never seen before. <laughs> oh, we met in a dating app. And I liked her witty bio and how she smiled with her eyes like crescent moons. And she liked how I clearly stated that I was looking for a girlfriend. <laughs> We're six months strong now, but it's been long distance because of the pandemic. Oh, but it's been wonderful. She's so emotionally intelligent, communicative and supportive. And I'm proud to call her my partner. Honestly, I think homophobes just distill queer relationships, the sex part of it all, and get all defensive because it's something they don't understand. Even though that speaks more to the lack of inclusive sex education, because queer sex is natural and beautiful, but that's still only one part of love. Love is my partner singing songs to me on Discord as I cry to cheer me up. Love is me reading my partner bedtime stories on the phone until she falls asleep. Love is my partner helping me with my final year project for university. Like it's just two people that want to support each other through life. Essentially, there is nothing different with straight and queer relationships. So why the double standards? Why the oppressive laws and lack of marriage equality? In 2013, Tammy Baldwin made history by becoming the first openly gay senator in the United States. In her speech at the Millennium March for Equality, she spoke to LGBTQ folks encouraging them to be out and proud. She believes that the only way to normalize non-heterosexual orientations is for the queer community to act like they are normal, because they are. So I would like to end this segment with a quote from Tammy, which reads, There will not be a magic day when we wake up and it's now okay to express ourselves publicly. We make that day by doing things publicly until it's simply the way things are. Thank you for listening to this episode and thank you for your openness. 
And thank you to all who shared their stories. Thank you for your bravery. Be sure to tune in next week for part two, where we debunk common myths and misconceptions of LGBTQ persons. We talk about how to embrace your different identities and how to be a good ally to the cause. Thank you.